0: Most often, the theme verse for the book of Galatians is chapter 5, verse 1. Let me read that to you. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty that you have been made free, that Christ has made us free. We, of all people, are the most free. We have freedom in Christ, freedom from death, Freedom from the grave, freedom from the law, and freedom from sin. And as we look at this passage, I want to uncover exactly what he's telling us here. But I also want to come back and consider this freedom aspect. I told you last week that we're getting into the application section of the passage now. And it's like Paul makes one more point before he gets into the application. But he introduces three things here that are going to help us to be able to understand how to live the Christian life. Here's what Paul's doing in the last section of this book. We are not to live under the law. We're not to think that we can be circumcised or go to church on Saturday or be baptized, any work that we might be right with him, but we are to live by faith for Christ. And so he wants to show us in the last part of this book how we live by faith apart from the law. And he introduces three things, actually four things in this section. Number one, we walk by freedom. That's verse one, stand fast in the liberty that you have in Christ. Number two, walk by the spirit. It'll go on to say, if you walk by the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is an incredibly powerful passage for overcoming temptation. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And then we are to walk by faith. We're not to walk by sight, but believing, trusting in him, believing what he said, and we are to walk in love. And you bring all of these together, walking by in the freedom we have, walking by the spirit, walking by faith and walking by love. And we have a powerful ingredient to be able to live the life that God wants for us, to live a life that is pleasing to him. I don't know about you. I don't know how often you would say, I, I'm living a life that's pleasing to Christ. I know for me, it's a struggle. For you, I imagine it's a struggle as well, because the Bible says that we have this in common. But along with temptation, he provides a way of escape for each one of us. Now, let's read this passage. And I want you to see where these four things are mentioned in it. And then we're going to come down and break down the passage. And then I want to talk about, because Paul, he returns to the concept of freedom in verse 13, but doesn't really expound on it any further. So I want to take time to talk about our freedom in Christ and what that means, especially in the battle against temptation, because he's going to go on to talk clearly about how we are supposed to live and um, what's acceptable and what's not. So Galatians 5, 1 through 6. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And by that, he means the law. And that becomes clear. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again that every man who becomes circumcised, that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. Notice it is an attempt to be justified by the law. They are not justified by it. And they estrange themselves from Christ. You have fallen from grace. That's a pretty powerful statement. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working in love. There in verse five, through the spirit. There at the end of verse five, by faith. There in the middle of verse six, by faith, working in love. And of course, verse one, the liberty. There are those four things that are connected together and throughout the rest of the chapter, He's going to expound on these things, our freedom, walking in the spirit, living by faith and walking in love. Now, before we consider the the freedom that we have in Christ, let's break this down. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. We are we have our freedom in Jesus Christ and the freedom for them was freedom from the law and freedom from death and freedom from the grave but freedom to be able to do anything. We are the most free. We have, we have freedom to do, Christ has given us freedom to do anything, but there are things we don't do. There are things we don't do because we've lived a little while and we learned that it's not good. There's things that we don't do because of experience. There's things that we don't do because we would spend the rest of our lives in jail if we did them. Even if we wanted to do them, we don't express our total freedom, even though we have freedom. But we're going to see that there are things that you can do today that can help you be able to face temptation tomorrow. I've heard a lot of sermons over the years on overcoming temptation. And very few of them have been really informative and really helpful. Usually it turns into a knuckle down, buckle down, do it, do it, do it. And, and you know, shame on you for sinning and, and uh, you know, you got, go go and fight it. And you may get a little bit of hope with it, maybe with a couple of passages that are shared. But I want to show you that God shows us that if we live a certain lifestyle, we'll be ready for the temptation when it comes. I'm of the mindset that if we don't prepare for it, that when temptation comes, we, we, there is a way of escape. The Bible tells us that. There is a way that God gives of escape. But if we prepare for it, we can find that way a lot easier. And we have a much more difficult time if we haven't. And we could be preparing today to fail when we are tempted in the future. So we want to take our freedom and use it for, in a way that can help us live the life that Paul's going to talk about through the rest of this book. And then he says, indeed, I, Paul, say to you. And he's not making a distinction there. Some people say, well, Paul is making a distinction here. It's Paul speaking and not the Holy Spirit. So what he says after this cannot be applied to the scriptures that he's saying, I, Paul, but Paul is an apostle. And he says, I, Paul, he's bringing it. There's another place in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where he talks about what Jesus said, that Jesus said that if you marry, if you divorce a woman except for sexual immorality, and marry another, then you commit adultery. And then he says, but I say unto you that a man should not, if a man does leave his wife, he should remain single or, and, and remain unmarried or be reconciled to her. So some say that Paul took what Jesus said and then said, and I'm adding my opinion. This is my opinion. But that's not what's happening, what was happening there. He was saying, Jesus said this, and I'm saying to you this, that this is how you were supposed to live. This is what you're supposed to do. The same thing is true in this passage. Just because he says, I, Paul, doesn't give you an out. To be able to say, well, that's not really the scriptures because Paul wrote the scriptures. We say, you say, how do we know that Paul wrote the scriptures? Because it says in the Bible, in the book of Peter, Peter says that there are those who twist scripture, especially Paul's writings, which are hard to understand, Isn't that great that Peter saw Paul's writings? It's hard to understand. And he said, and they twist the scriptures. And so he refers to Paul's writings as scripture. So when he says, I, Paul, he's just telling them very direct. Remember, this has been an intense letter and we get it here. Paul is still fired up. It's a short letter, even though we've taken so long to go through it. Paul is still upset. He's still fired up and we get that here. He says, and I testify again to you He's wrapping this theological section up. Every man who becomes circumcised, that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you want to keep a part of the law, there are those that sneak in among us today, just as there were those who snuck in among the churches in their day and tell you that you have to keep certain parts of the law. But you can't pick and choose. And even Jesus was accused from the Pharisees, of breaking the Sabbath. Jesus never broke the Sabbath. He broke their rewriting of the Sabbath. They had rules that they had added, so they rewrote the Sabbath and then claimed that Jesus broke it. Today, the Sabbatharians who believe that it is necessary to go to church on Saturday to be saved, I'm not talking about those who are doing it out of choice. If you go, well, I just want to go to church on on Saturday. I want to go... uh, and worship God on Saturday. You got to do it before sundown by, or after sundown, by the way, or you got to do it, you got to do it before sundown. Let me get those things right. If you do it on Friday, you can go after sundown because that's considered to be the Sabbath day. Friday at sundown is the Sabbath. If you, want, if you want to do that because you want to, because it's something you want to do, you're totally free to do that. But as soon as you start thinking that it gives you special privilege with God, that God's like, oh, you go to church on Saturday? Well, now I'm going to bless you. Or you think it's salvation. There's a problem. When you take part of the law, you're indebting yourself to follow the whole law. You can't pick and choose. And by the way, those who keep Sabbath day to day, never in the Old Testament was the Sabbath going to to synagogue or going to church. They rewrite the Sabbath to make it mean going to church. And then they say that you break it. When if you want to keep the Sabbath, that had nothing to do about going to the synagogue. It says in the New Testament that it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue at Sabbath, but it was never a requirement of the law. And they'll use that verse. It was his custom to go to the synagogue on Sabbath, therefore you should be going to church on Saturday. They rewrite the Sabbath and then tell you that you break it. But it's their picking and choosing that's the biggest problem. If they're gonna go to church on, on Saturday and say that's keeping the law, if they're gonna try to keep the law, they better keep the other parts of the Sabbath law, which I'm not sure they're doing, especially if they live a certain ways away from the church. On top of that, they need to keep the dietary laws. They need to keep all of it. I, I wonder with those who want to keep a part of the law, because there are those who believe that they're saved by keeping other parts of the law. I wonder if it was taught, you have to keep all of the law. How many people would do it? Because you're going to be condemned under the whole law. And he says that, I testify to you, every man who becomes circumcised, that he is a debtor to keep the whole law, and that was their issue in their day. The legalists, which interestingly enough weren't always Jewish, there was a large contingency of Gentiles who had become Jewish, they had been circumcised, they kept the Jewish calendar, which were a shadow of things to come, and then they went and laid these things on other people, and these were the groups that were going into the region of the excuse me of the galatians and so He says to them in verse four, you have become, excuse me, let's read verse three. And I testify again that every man who becomes circumcised is a debtor to keep the whole law. Then verse four, uh, you have become estranged from Christ. Now, these are really strong words for a couple of for a couple of things. About the time that I start to think, you know, I think it's once saved, always saved. Jesus is going to leave the 99 and go after the one. No one can pluck you from his hands. That you can't come to the father unless you can't come to the son unless the father draws you. About the time I start thinking that, I read a passage like this. Where you've got some Gentiles who were saved. And then they left grace and they started keeping the law. And Paul says they're estranged from Christ. Now, does estranged from Christ mean that they lost their salvation? Listen to what he goes on to say. You who attempted to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Now, it seems to me when I read this, and I, and, and I think this is where I settle in on the idea of once saved, always saved. I settle in on going, I'm just going to teach the word of God and let God work all of that out. Because the reality is, if someone is away from Christ those who are once saved always saved will say he was never saved and those who walk away from Christ those who don't believe in once saved always saved are going to say he needs to be saved so you've still got a guy that's not saved no matter which side says it and so even though I get to the point where I I I do a Bible study and I think you know what I think I'm once saved always saved and then I read another one I go I don't know if I am So I find myself in limbo, but I wonder if that isn't really what God wants. There is security in Christ because he saves us. It's by grace. It's by undeserved favor that we have even been saved. And he has expressed that salvation to us. We can't get saved on our own. It's got to be him saving us. I can't jump high enough. I can't climb a ladder high enough. I can't get up into heaven to be saved. And so I have to have him working for me, but I also have to endure to the end. It most likely is a combination of the two. Is it more God than me? I would think so. I'll put it this way. I would hope so. Because if it's more me than God, I'm probably in trouble. I need God to hold on to me tightly. And I need to hold tightly to him. I've said it before. It's kind of like a marriage. Both people have to say, I choose you. And, and if you are believing that you are saved by some kind of a law then you have estranged yourself from Christ and you have fallen from grace. Now, there are going to be those who argue that these words don't mean that you're not saved, that you can be estranged from Christ and still be saved. And I think your fellowship, you can be a genuine saved Christian and your fellowship with Christ can be cut off because of unconfessed, unrepentant sin. And we want to be in fellowship with him. So I understand what they're saying. But then when it goes on to say, you have fallen from grace, I don't know how you fall from grace and remain saved. Grace is undeserved favor. If you fall from undeserved favor, how are you saved? In other words, if you're, Paul's saying, if you're working for your salvation, well, then you think you're earning it and God's grace no longer is extended, which is a pretty amazing thought. And, is strong enough, this passage is strong enough. I mean, out of all of them, all of them that we've been covering with the book of of Galatians, it's like, I think we ought to come back and read Galatians every other year. Maybe as a church, just read it, make some notes on certain passages because it's such a powerful passage. Paul wrote this, one of his earliest books, probably his earliest, it is his earliest book written. Then a few years later, he wrote Romans and he expounds on the ideas of Galatians. He expounds on them in Romans because this was the heresy of their day. Very strong. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. He's contrasting that to works. If you're working by getting circumcised or keeping the law, then you're not trusting in Him by faith. And here he introduces one of his main themes for the rest of the book. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We're going to learn the fruit of the Spirit, what's in the life of an individual who's filled by the Spirit. We're going to be encouraged to sow to the Spirit instead of the flesh. We're going to be encouraged to walk in the Spirit that we want and will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Being Spirit-filled, walking in the Spirit is one of the keys to living a pleasing life for Christ. And I like that term pleasing because we know we're not perfect we know we need his grace even when we're doing well on our best day we still need his grace that's why it becomes problematic when we think I've got things together I'm standing pretty good with Christ now except for the pride but other than that so we need to walk in his grace always but the spirit walking in the spirit becomes one of those keys and then eagerly hope in righteousness by faith. And so he'll talk about living by faith here in the rest of the book. And then he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. It doesn't matter. He's saying whether you're Jewish or Gentile, whether you're a Gentile that's been circumcised or not, it doesn't mean anything. Now, you already said, if you think that you, uh, if... Um, I testify again that every man who becomes circumcised is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you're doing it to keep the law, then that's one thing. But circumcision, uncircumcision, male, female, doesn't matter. And earlier in this book when Paul said that, because I heard here recently someone saying that God blurred gender lines by saying, in Christ there's no male and female. I know what their agenda was, but the gender lines have not been blurred by God. If you go back and read that passage in chapter three, he's talking about the sonship. And he says that we are sons and heirs. And I think he could kind of see women going, what about us? Aren't we daughters? But he's talking about heirs. It was the firstborn son that was an heir. And so then he went on to say, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no male or female. You're still an heir, gals. You are a son. You're you're a son who is in the position of receiving the inheritance from Christ. I know that's a little weird to to take, but that's exactly what Paul was saying. And here he's saying the same thing circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't matter. We come to Christ, and, and then he says this by faith, working through love. By faith, Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, loving one another as we love ourselves. And we're gonna see in the very next passage where love fits into it. Because he bounces off of this and he goes into love. Now, let's consider some of the things that Christian freedom brings us. Because Paul doesn't really develop that in the book of Galatians. He does in the book of Corinthians. He does in the book of Romans, where he really dives into the Christian freedom. So we get a little bit better idea as to exactly what it means. As I said, we've been freed from the law. We've been freed from the world. We've been freed to be able to please God, to glorify him from the grave. And the Bible says, from sin. We've been freed from sin. And Romans clearly says that we are no longer under bondage to sin. Before we were in Christ, we were under the bondage of sin. And now we are no longer under, under it. Jesus said in John eight thirty two, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. From that point, it was a prophecy that he was going to die by faith, give you an opportunity to know the truth and to be set free. In John eight thirty six, just a few verses later, he says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. This is one of the reasons that we say, that we are the most free of all men. We are the most free. Because who has the freedom even that we have to be able to make decisions even out from under the bondage of sin? Now let's start by considering just a few things about sin. We're gonna see this develop throughout the book. And I really wanna show you by the time we get to the end of this, that there is a way to walk with Christ and not to be under the bondage of sin. And it's always a mixture of walking by the Spirit, walking in love, living and living by His grace. We always will need His grace. So if you think that I'm going to give you keys, that you're never going to sin again, you're like, oh, I've been waiting for this. I'm going to, I'm going to get these things. I'm going to write down these principles and I'm not going to sin anymore. Sorry. That's why you haven't been able to listen to a sermon and then go out and not sin. You listen to a sermon, you think, I've pretty much got this thing straightened out. Then when you face temptation, it becomes really strong. And you think, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And you, then you've got to remember the next verse there in Romans 8. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm in Christ Jesus and I need his grace. And I wish, I wish I could give you five keys to overcoming temptation. But there will always need to be that section on grace at the end of it, where we, we will need his grace because the Bible says, if anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar and doesn't walk in the truth. So let's just talk about a few things about sin. So first of all, you don't want to sin. I realize I'm talking to some people right now that have harbored sin in their lives. You're planning on sinning. You're planning on leaving here and going to sinning. And and when I say you don't want to sin, you go, oh, I do want to sin. I go, no, you don't. You go, yes, I do. And I realize there are those of you here who know right now you don't want to sin, but you know that you're going to be tempted and then you're going to want to sin. But I'm saying in the bigger picture, you don't want sin. Because what happens from sin is not good. Sin is not sin just because God decided to take something and make it sin. He didn't randomly go, I'm going to choose that to be sin. Some people think that he said, that looks fun, that's sin. And that looks fun and that sin. God didn't do that. There is something inherently sinful about sin. It has something inherent in it. The action that makes it sin. It is, it's got selfishness connected to it. It's got pride connected to it. It's got self-seeking connected to it. It's got something in the action itself that makes it sin. It's not just something God said. Now there are trespasses and a trespass is different. A trespass is when God just says, don't do that for some reason. And there were trespasses in the law. Don't do that. It wasn't something inherently wrong. It was just simply don't do that. I always use the example of bringing coffee into our sanctuary. Since Adam talked about it already, I'll talk a little bit about it. So the reason we don't want you bringing coffee in the sanctuary is because we found giant coffee stains, right? We find giant coffee stains and the people that do maintenance at the church are like, this is ruining our carpet. It's going to cost a lot of money. No more coffee in the sanctuary. Is there inherently anything wrong with you bringing coffee in? Especially you. Because you're going to be far more careful than that careless person That spilt their coffee and left a stain. You know you're not going to do that. What's really funny is if you have coffee in here tonight. That's what's really funny right now. (laughs) You know you're not going to do it. But we've made a rule. Therefore, there's a trespass in the rule. That's not what we're talking about here. If you trespass on private property, you could go to jail, right? So breaking trespasses is bad. But we're talking about sin. That is sin for a reason. And you might even say the rebellion in trespassing could be sin when, when a trespass rule is set up. But that's not what God has done. God hasn't just given us things to stay away from. Very clear cut. It's either sin, inherent sin, or it's not. And we have the freedom to be able to do it. And so here's the thing that, about sin. The Bible tells us, first of all, that sin is deceptive. This is a very important principle. Because there are some who will say, They'll justify any kind of sin. And I've heard them all justified. I've had people come to me and say, I think that the Bible says that that fornication, adultery is bad, but fornication isn't. And they go through all the passages that talk about sexual immorality and say that they can fornicate. Even when you come back and you go through over all the passages, all of a sudden you realize they're just wanting to do what they want to do. Sin is deceptive, and we need to know that. Satan is using it to deceive us. You think it's good? You think you want it? That's why I say you don't want it, because it's deception. And if you know you're being deceived, and you do it anyway, or you agree to do it, or you make a decision to live wholeheartedly in it, what is that saying? Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says, Brethren, beware, brethren, Lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. (laughs) There's another one of those passages in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Not only does that passage tell us that sin is deceptive, but it hardens you. So you don't know it's deceptive. And so do you have something you've welcomed into your life that is deceptive and is hardening your heart. James 1:16 and 17. After the passage on sin, it says we all sin when we are enticed, and then when it is full grown, it brings forth death. Then the very next verse says this do not be deceived. Because sin is deceptive, it brings forth death. Don't be deceived. My beloved brethren, every good and perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadows. In other words, the passage is saying, sin brings death, but everything good comes from the Father of lights. That's really what you want. It's one of the reasons I say you don't want sin. Even if you want sin, you don't want sin. You want to figure out a way to battle it. We We should battle it the rest of our lives and never settle into it. The second is that sin brings destruction. Sin is deceptive and sin brings destruction. Proverbs 13, 6, righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. Wickedness brings destruction into our lives. Galatians 6, 8 says, and we're going to get there here in a few weeks, he who sows to the flesh from the flesh will reap corruption, destruction. He who sows to the spirit, from the Spirit will reap life. So sin is deceptive and sin brings destruction. I would like to not have the destruction of sin in my life. I would like to find the tools God's given me to be able to overcome the deception and destruction. And finally, sin brings death. And this is James 1, 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown, brings death. And I don't think this is just speaking of the death of our lives, that we were sinners and so we were doomed and Jesus came to save us. I believe that sin played out brings death. Death of respect sometimes, death of relationships sometimes. And we could go on, there could be more things. Romans six twenty three says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So even though the wages of sin is death, we can call out upon him now. We can ask him to forgive us and we can find the forgiveness of sin. So those are the reasons that I say you don't want sin. It's deceptive, it's destructive and it brings death. I know it's appealing to the flesh. Realize that. But we still don't want it because we don't want what comes along with it. There might be something that you want that's illegal. You don't do it because you don't want to go to jail. Right? Use that analogy already. Now, Where does freedom fit into all this? It's one of the tools that God has given us to be able to avoid sin in the future. Today, we have freedom. God's given us a lot of it. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says, all things are lawful for me, which is kind of a bizarre statement. All things are lawful for me. We are in Christ. There's going to be results from the things that you do, but all things are lawful for me but all things are not helpful. There are a lot of things that you can do. You might be free to do it, meaning you can go do it. It's not saying you have a license to go do it. It's not saying God is saying you can go do anything you want to do. Paul's saying all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. So the question is, what things are helpful? He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. So now he says, I wanna use my freedom for things that are helpful and not to be brought under the power of anything. He connects that a little bit later on in that book, a few chapters later, he connects that to doing things that are edifying. First, it's kind of in the negative. I don't wanna do anything that I'm gonna come under the power of. But then he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me. He's back to his all things are lawful again but not all things are helpful, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are edifying. There's the key. I can do things today that don't edify me. I can do things today that edify me. I can do things today that are not helpful or I will not be brought under the power of anything. I can make decisions today to live my life in such a way that it will help prepare me when I face temptation. So I can do neutral things, I'm free. If I'm driving to church and I wanna listen to country western music, I'm free. I I can listen all I want. That's not really what I would listen to, by the way. If I had my druthers, it would be, it's 70s rock. I'm stuck in the 70s, it just happened to me. (laughs) I don't know, I don't know where it came from, but if I ever get a hanker into listening to something nostalgic, it's 70s rock, unfortunately, which is like the same 90s song played over and over and over and over again. Whenever you log into anything, that's 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 but and someone may say, Well, that's sinful. Well, I'm free, but what's it gonna is it has it helped me? But if I'm driving, I go, You know what? I want to listen, I want to listen to this podcast, I want to listen to the Bible Project podcast, or I want to listen to um, Bible Thinker podcast, I want to listen to something, and I do that a lot. Because I want to be edified. I want to redeem the time. And I want to be edified. I want my spirit to grow. I want to be more matured. I want to know more of the word of God. And so I want to take my downtime. I don't know. if I drive a lot. I live in Orr Valley. This is on the east side of town. Uh, the other campus is on the west side of town. So I have a lot of time in the car. And I try to, I try to redeem that time by doing things that are edifying. So tomorrow morning you could wake up. All things are lawful for you. You already know you're not going to do some unlawful things, right? But what kind of things are you going to do tomorrow that are going to help you be able to face a temptation later on that day? You could feed on the word of God. You could spend some time praying. This isn't legalistic. This isn't, you better get out over there. You better pray. You better read your Bible. You better listen to Christian music. You better listen to some podcasts. It's not legalistic. It's saying you're free. And if you're free, then use your freedom to edify. Use your freedom to edify other people. That's what Paul is saying. I want to use the freedom I have to edify. And so if you use your freedom to edify yourself so that later on when you face temptation, then you're better prepared to be able to stand against it. He goes on to say then in Galatians 5.13, this is the other passage in Galatians where he talks about it. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So he says two things in this passage. That I can use my liberty as an occasion for my flesh. And I know you guys would never do that. Except we all probably do. I'll even go back stronger. We all do. Except we all do. That sometimes it's just, you know, little things that we just are so satisfied in. Somebody says, I've got something to tell you, but I really shouldn't tell you. Well, it's OK. You can tell me. They almost were like confessing that it's wrong for them to tell you, but you're like, well, what is it? It's OK. Or you do what I do. Some people, you know, you can't stop now. You started. You got to You got to tell me now. And so we don't want to do things that are going to feed the flesh. We want to do things that are going to feed the spirit. So if we consider whatever we feed is going to be stronger, Then we want to feed our spirit and not our flesh. And if you do, if you feed the flesh today by watching a certain thing or listening to a certain thing or letting your mind go down a certain path, then when the temptation hits, you're much more likely to give in. If you feed your spirit, now you say, well, when I face temptation, it's so hard, I can't help but give in. But if you feed your spirit, what kind of tools will you gain to be able to stand against it? He goes on to say in 1 Peter 2.16, and here we're done. He says, do not use your liberty as an occasion to sin. Paul said, I don't want to use it as an opportunity for the flesh. And now Peter's going to say, don't use it as an opportunity to sin. He says, as free, yet not, this is uh, 1 Peter 2.16, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. In the New King James here, it's kind of an Old Testament concept. Like you're going to cloak it, vice, you're going to just cover it up. Don't use the cloak vice. Um, Another, another version says as an occasion for sin. Don't use your liberty as an occasion for sin. But as bondservants of Christ, that we have our freedom and we are now bondservant and a bondservant is a servant by choice. We are a servant of his by choice and we use it for him. Let me finish this message up by giving you this thought. Had a friend of mine, still goes to the church and He taught me how to hunt. I was 35 years old when we started to hunt and he taught me how to hunt. And so he drilled something into my head. He would say to me, don't forget your five Ps. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. So if we were archery hunting, he was like, have you shot your bow? Have you shot it enough? Have you got it really dialed in? Have you prepared properly to prevent poor performance? Well, this can be applied to our Christian walk. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. What are you doing today that you will not perform poorly as a Christian tomorrow? And what are you doing tomorrow that you will not, that you will not, whatever it says? (laughs) You will not have poor performance tomorrow. There's too many P's. I got confused over all the P's. Use your freedom but use it for Christ. Use your freedom, but use it in a wise way because the more deceptive, destructive, death-bringing sin you can get out of your life, the better it's going to be. And you say, well, what if I fail? That's where the grace comes in. That's where we call on his name. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And our response from the grace he gives us Should be preparing our way that we can walk and get rid of as much destructive, deceptive, death bringing sin that we possibly can. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that as we get into the end of the book of Galatians, that you really help us to understand that we can live our lives in such a way that you are pleased with us. We want you to be pleased with us now. And we realize it's always just a prayer away. If we confess, you're faithful. And I pray that we would keep short accounts. I pray that we would do the things that we need to do today to make things better when we are tempted tomorrow. And Lord, we also ask you, even as you taught us to, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Help us, Lord, that we would not face temptation. You've you've told us to pray that way. And I believe that you will respond based on that. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.